mindfulness mode. Taking care of yourself makes you better for those other things in your life that you want to do. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here today with a guest who is going to be a very interesting conversation because we're going to be talking about anxiety, depression, food addiction, low self-esteem. These are a lot of the challenges that he deals with on his podcast, and his podcast is called Relatively Normal, and his podcast is really awesome, so I highly recommend checking out his podcast. I'm here today with Mark Paisson. Mark, are you in mindfulness mode? today i am definitely in mindfulness mode today today is a good day that's awesome so what does mindfulness mean to you mark you know mindfulness is i mean there's a you know clinical and and specific definition of it but for me it really means my daily mental fitness routine it really means me taking time out of my day to to prioritize myself prioritize the present and and stay as humble as I can and stay grateful for the things that I have in my life, for the people I have in my life and and making sure I I prioritize myself. And that's what, that's what mindfulness means to me. Well, that's awesome that you do that. And, and on your podcast, you are really open to talking about so many challenges that people have in their everyday life, anxiety and depression. I mentioned that on the, the top of the show. Have you had a lot of these uh, challenges in your life as well? I have. And the reason I talk about them now and have them on the show is because for so long in my life, I, I bottled them all in and figured I wasn't supposed to have these feelings. Like I, I figured as a, as a man and as a black man, like this wasn't acceptable for me to feel this way. Mm-hmm. And I tried to just fight through a lot of them. I, I literally told myself, you shouldn't feel this way you know, everyone goes through this and, and you just need to man up and, and do what's right and, and take care of yourself and not, not worry about yourself really. And, and worry about those around you and, and just get through this. And so, yes, when it comes to those, you know, depression, anxiety, there's been really low points in my life. And, and, you know, I, I seem to remember those and the high points in my life. If I look back, I just figured this is a waning moment. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to feel sad. I'm going to feel anxious. I'm going to get right back to that. So even in those happy moments, I was thinking about how I'm going to feel in the future or how I felt in the past, which you know is not very mindful of me in, 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 my, in my past. Well, but we get pulled into that all the time. That's for sure. So I'm, I'm really interested in zoning in more on what you said. As a black man, you didn't feel you should feel this way. You didn't think you should feel this way. And can you, can you tell us more about that? I understand the man part. Like as a man, we think we're supposed to be uh, a certain way and we're supposed to, you know, be stoic or whatever it is. And, and so tell me from your perspective about this. Well, so people know there is, you know, there's historical context to the the black family, especially in America, where, you know, gender roles and socioeconomic roles really play a part. And mm-hmm. the man is supposed to be the provider, the protector. He's supposed to be the defender. He's supposed to be the leader of in this very macho way. And there is this stigma associated with mental health in, in the black community as well as in other communities, but specifically talking about the black community and the only people in historically in the black family 
that were allowed to express feelings were were women and children. Okay. Once you became a man, your feelings were not important. They, no one cared about them. You weren't supposed to bring them up. So a lot of men in the black community just decided to bottle it all up and just not talk about it. And I noticed that from an early age, I wanted, I wanted to talk about it. You know, I wanted to, you know, be that person that opened up about it. But then mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, I had people that would expect me just to be this strong alpha male personality that just, you know, didn't have any feelings. And that played a, a huge role in the person I became because I started not caring about, you know, what I looked like after sports was over. I didn't care what I put in my body. I didn't care if I spent time by myself or meditated or, or wrote in a journal. I just cared about checking those boxes. I cared about, you know, graduating, you know, uh, starting a family, getting married, having a good job, you know, being economically stable. And the funny thing about all this is I didn't do all that stuff because of the feelings I was keeping inside. I wasn't able to be vulnerable. Like vulnerability isn't a thing that historically black men were able to be. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point and a lot of it had to do with therapy where I was just asked the question, like, why not? Why, why can't you be vulnerable? Like what's keeping you from being vulnerable? And I couldn't, I couldn't answer that question. I, I, I didn't know. And once I started to open up and become more vulnerable, I found out that one, I felt a lot better. Mm -hmm. And two, there were people in this world that really cared about me. And that, those are two eye-opening experiences for me. And so what kind of kickback did you get after you started doing that? Did you find that your friend group changed? It did. It did because that's, that's, a, that's such a good question because there was a huge shift in the people that I kept around me. And I had a group of friends that never really questioned my motives, never really questioned or challenged me as an individual. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to go out drinking and having no money in my account, yeah, let's go do it. If I wanted to eat another, you know, terrible meal at 11 o'clock at night, oh yeah, let's, let's, let's grab it. You know, if I didn't want to go to work, if I wanted to skip, if I wanted to be lazy, if I didn't want to be a good person, I had no one that challenged me on that. And not only did my friend group change, but my friend group got smaller and I started putting more quality into my relationships versus the quantity. I had a big friend group. I, I'm a social guy. Like I, I mask a lot of my insecurities with, with jokes and with being outgoing and, and mm -hmm. being witty and all that stuff. But once I was able to have those deep, intimate conversations with male counterparts, and then being able to not judge me and say, you know what, I feel the same way. And then be able to challenge me to be a better person. My friend group changed and got smaller. Right. I can believe it. I, I can really believe it. And, and what has your podcast taught you about living your life? You know, I put out one, some of the best advice I 
I ever saw online was another podcaster saying that your first podcast episode is supposed to be terrible. Mm. And I was like, all right, that that's great. That's great advice. Like I just wanted to put something out. And I remember doing my first show and there's no, I don't, I can't remember if I did an intro or not. I think I did. Um, there's no background music. There's no real production to it, but I put it out and I was so nervous mm-hmm. about it. I was so thinking people in their heads would be like, why is Mark doing this? Like, come on, another pot. Like we don't need this. And the first phone calls and text messages I got when people listened to it were men saying, you just said out loud what I've been thinking for a long time. Wow. Thank you for doing this. And I can't, I can't really express to you how that made me feel but I knew I was doing something right. And one of the guys that, that texts me and we still talk to this day, um, you know, he, I used to have to travel to Ohio for work and, and he lived up there and he said, Hey, I just want to take you out for lunch when you get in town. Like, cool, man. All right, let's, let's do it. And when we sat down, he said, I listened to your first episode and I just wanted to talk to you because there's, the, there's been these feelings I've been having. I don't think there's anybody I can talk to and I just feel overwhelmed and, and I just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And we just had a great conversation over lunch for about, you know, 35, 45 minutes. And that's what I want. Like, I don't want notoriety. I don't want people to, you know, I don't want awards. I don't want people to say it's a, oh, such a great, you should listen to it. I want people to understand that if this six foot five, former collegiate athlete, black man can sit on a a show and Mm -hmm. talk about his feelings and express how he feels and say, he's been depressed, then I can do it too. And the more we open up about our feelings, I think the more empathy we learn, I think the more collaboration we learn. And I think we start to understand that we have the power we have more power than we believe over our emotions. Yeah, I agree with you. That's, that's fantastic. And I just say kudos to you for doing this, for being so vulnerable to put this out there. So let's zoom in and talk specifically about food and food addiction. Do you feel like you've come to the other side where you're sort of in control of the food you put into your body and being healthy? I, I, yes, I am in control of it. That does not mean that I, I still don't have the urges to, you know, just binge eat and eat, uh, you know, unhealthy foods all the time. But what anybody who's going through this and, and the only bit of advice that I can give again, I mean, I'm, I'm on my way to be a nutritionist. I should get the test scores back any day now. So I'll uh-huh. be able to give this actually, um, professionally, but a big thing we don't do a lot of times is listen to our body. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is you can go and eat the worst meal you can think of, whatever that be, be fast food, be fried food, whatever it is. And we will get full Mm -hmm. halfway through the meal, but we'll say, oh, this meal is so good. Like I just, that, that control, that mental control over what we put in our body is not about what we put a lot about what we put in our body, but how much and when we do it. And what I, the biggest thing for me was first getting into a habit where I wasn't eating late at night. And that was tough. 
But another thing I could say is that our bodies are amazing and they adjust so quickly. So say you drink sodas every day. If you quit cold turkey, yes, those first few days will be bad. Mm -hmm. But week, two weeks, you'll find out that you don't need it anymore. Um, so what, I, it, what I've done is I've started to listen to my body. And if I have a meal that's high in carbs or, or high in sugar or high in fat, I'll enjoy the meal. But once I feel full, I can stop eating it. In the past, I was not able to do that. Mm -hmm. And it led me, it led to me gaining over a hundred pounds after college. Oh, wow. And the biggest part of, of the, the fitness journey, and most people don't realize this, and, and I didn't realize it until I started doing it, was that nutrition is most important when it comes to your fitness journey. You can work out all the hours of the gym, go for 10 mile runs every day, you know, hike up mountains, do yoga classes, do everything. But if you don't eat properly, and if you don't get the right macronutrients into your body and you're just filling your body with, you know, sugar, um, mm -hmm. salt, all that stuff, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So control is the right, you use the right word that that's correct. Cause I still enjoy an unhealthy meal now and again, but I just control how much of it I eat and I listen right. to my body. Right. And what about alcohol? Let's talk about that. Is that something that you use? I, it, so in the past, I, I'll, I'll never say the only thing I really was addicted to was food and sugar, but there were times where I, I would drink too much and I didn't, here's the thing about alcohol. Like I didn't look at it as calories. I didn't look at it as something that negatively affected my body. Mm. So, you know, coming home after work and, and drinking a beer or, or having a, a alcoholic drink was just, you know, something I thought didn't affect my body other than if I had too much of it, I would be impaired. Right. But then you, you know, you start looking at your, your bank account you start looking at your, your, uh, trash can. You're like, did I, re did I really go through all that this week? Mm -hmm. And you start wondering like, why do I need this? Now my, my wife and I now enjoy a glass of wine a few nights a week. And, and I might have a, you know, a nice scotch every now and again, but at no point do I feel like I need alcohol to, to be myself. Like I, I used to think that once I get one or two drinks in me, like I'm really my, I, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm having fun now, yeah. which is such a detrimental way to, to think about the world. Um, and Again, I, I wouldn't say I was ever addicted to it. I could go, you know, weeks without having it. But I remember times where I would, you know, be at work and be stressed. I'm like, man, I can't wait till I get home and just have crack open a beer. Yeah. And as a, as a fitness individual now, as a, new, as a person into nutrition, like that's a lot of empty calories that you're just throwing into your body. So even on the, the weeks and months I didn't eat poorly, I'm still thinking, why am I gaining weight? This is weird. Like I didn't know. And it was, it was the beer. It was the alcohol. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So now it's, again, another thing is control. And I, I know I listen to my body. I definitely listen to my body. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to talk to you about all this. And uh, one of the things I talk to my guests about is bullying. And mm-hmm. if you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference, do you have a story you can share with us, Mark? You know, I um, I never was a bully. And I was, I was a really caring and empathetic young kid and teenager. And But there were moments in my life where I was bullied. And looking back... It had a lot to do with intimidation of because uh, I played sports my whole life, soccer and basketball, and my brother and I were always tall, we're always fit, we're always advanced for our age. And you know, coming into high school, and I, I want to preface this that people who who haven't played sports before, a lot of times, bullying sports is masked at as hazing. Yeah. You know, it's masked as, uh, oh, we got the freshmen coming in. They, they, we're going to teach them a lesson and we're going to hate. And it's like, no, that's, that is not, that's not <laughs> being a good teammate. That's not being, that's, that's a toxic environment. Yeah. And we see upperclassmen use that as a mask to bully younger kids. And especially the ones that they are intimidated by. So my brother and I, as a freshman, we both were playing varsity and, and there was a, a varsity goalkeeper who I was a goalkeeper and, and looking back as many times as he could, you know, he'd like to call me out of my name. He liked to play jokes on me, pranks on me, things like that. I never did anything to him. Like I, I was trying to learn from him. He's the senior, yeah. I'm the freshman. <clears throat> and we speak about mindfulness and we speak about being present and a lot of it is being able to disassociate things that have that other stressors into the current situation. And there was a time when at the end of the season, we were supposed to turn in our uniforms and bring in something specific to wear for our team picture. And this is back in the day when there was voicemails, like there, there was a little tape and there was voicemails and yeah. Apparently, the senior had left a voicemail for my brother and I on our home phone, which we, my brother and I didn't check it. Um, yeah. We weren't getting calls or, and we didn't bring this stuff in. Yeah. And immediately he goes at me in front of coaches, in front of other teammates, in front of other players, you know, telling me that he, you know, he left the message. It's my fault. I, I you know, I should have checked my message and, and think like just, it was, it was not a civil conversation. Mm-hmm. And that same day, my girlfriend had broken up with me. Oh, wow. And uh, so I'm sitting by myself, head down. You know, as a 15-year-old, you think your life's ruined when your girlfriend breaks up with you. (laughs) Definitely. And as much as I should have said, you know what? There was a miscommunication. We didn't check it. You left it. It's all good. Like, we, we have extras. I got up and went at him and tried to, and tried to fight him. Mm. Tried to fight this, this six, seven senior in front of all my teammates, in front of my coaches. Like I, I didn't see anything other than I had the tunnel vision of what I was going to do to this person. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any repercussions. If I were to hit him and something were to happen, I didn't see any repercussions. If he were to hit me and injure me, I saw nothing mm-hmm. other than what I wanted to do to him. Right. And looking back as an adult, knowing that I already have the stress of, of playing two sports in high school and being in high school 
and having a girlfriend break up with me and having the senior mad at me and having coaches upset that I, I should have left the locker room. Yeah. I should have, you know, as a 15 year old, it's hard to see those things. and It's hard to be mindful, but my emotions were all over the place. Yeah. And that's what I teach my girls now in those situations. They're young, they're nine and seven, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to get back words that you really didn't mean to say. And in a split instance, we can ruin relationships. We can ruin people's lives. We can ruin how people think about themselves. We can ruin people's perception of you. And I think that had a lot to do. I've never been involved in hazing when I was an upperclassman. I've never tried to bully an underclassman. I've never bullied anybody because in my brain, I'm always thinking, how are my actions and words affecting this person mentally? How is what I say to this young person going to pop up at some point in their life and say, Mark Paisant told me this and I feel this way about this situation. So, you know, looking back on that, I, I try to, I try to watch my words and I try to really be present. And I try to ask myself, is anything else affecting my mental state right now? And if any of those questions are answered as yes, then I pause for a minute, I breathe or I leave the situation and then I come back later and talk about it. And this does, I will say, this doesn't always work with my wife who likes to discuss things immediately. Right. <laughs> but, I, but I tell her, like, listen, you're either going to be mad that I walked away or you're going to be absolutely furious about what I say. Uh-huh. So that's, you, you choose what you want to do. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow, what a story. So what finally happened in that locker room? You didn't uh, really tell us. I, it is funny, the, he manned up too. So he was coming right at me too. And there was two hands that pulled me back, my brother and the coaches. And I had, you know, I had guys on the team that because I, I wouldn't hurt a fly. Like I don't have that personality where I'm going to fight. Yeah, I'm not a very competitive person by nature. Once I get on a field or a court, like I am competitive during that time frame. Mm-hmm. But people were saying we never saw that part of you before. Mm-hmm. And my brother had to tell my coach, like, hey, I'm sorry, his his girlfriend broke up. And <clears throat> I'll tell you this, right after that situation, mm-hmm. I collapsed and I just started crying. Wow. I, I, I didn't know what else to do. Like I all the emotions like flooded me at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a, as a teenager, you don't have, most teenagers don't have that capability compartmentalize oh. and be able to take, I, everything just rushed at one point at me and I just broke down and started crying in front of all of my teammates, in front of my coaches, in front of my brother, in front of my friends. And I, I, you know, it, looking back on that story, and, and thank you for asking me, it, it, really, it really makes me think about how I just wasn't opening up as a teenager. I was bottling everything in. Mm-hmm. And if you're the father or mother of teenagers, or you're a teenager listening to this, like it's so important that we ask our kids not about what they did in their day, but how their day was, how do they mm-hmm. feel? 
when they get a bad grade, don't always scold them. Ask them what that bad grade makes them feel like when they lose a soccer game or basketball or whatever. And don't just kind of wipe it under the rug and say, hey, you'll get them next time. Ask them about their feelings and yeah. make them talk to you about their feelings because they're just learning their feelings, just like they're learning calculus and pre-calculus and geography and all this stuff in school. They're also learning social and emotional skills. They're learning emotional intelligence. And as parents, we have the ability to help them with that. Yeah, good advice. Really, really good advice. And thanks for sharing that whole story with us because it's so important to be vulnerable enough to share stuff like that. And I know that's why you have your podcast. So as we move forward in the interview, uh, Mark, I'd like to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? My dad, without, without question, has been my dad. He's the mm -hmm. one that, that told me to, to pause, take a breath, always be conscious of the words you use and, and take time for yourself. No questions, awesome. my dad. Awesome. Let's talk about emotions. How have you been able to deal with your emotions differently as a result of mindfulness? By being able to say I'm important, to say my emotions are important. Before, I, I didn't think I was important, but mm -hmm. taking time out of your day adds you to your priority list, and hopefully you get higher and higher throughout the day. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about breathing. How is breathing a part of your mindfulness practice? Breathing makes everything better, especially in stressful moments. Breathing makes people understand there is a huge connection between the mind and the body. And once you take a minute out of your day to do breathing exercises, you will be surprised how relaxed and how focused you become. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Is there a book that you would recommend that's related to mindfulness? You know, it's probably not directly related to mindfulness, but um, Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the last one, uh, Sharpen the Saw, mm -hmm. is all about, the last habit, is all about taking time for yourself. Basically, if you are the saw that's cutting down a tree, trees, like making sure you take time to sharpen that saw because it mm -hmm. makes the tree cutting easier. And that comes from, you know, mental work, spiritual work, um, physical work and social work. So it, it, that, that I would tell people, if you're going to read any of that book, read the end of it, sharpen the saw is, is a huge component to mindfulness for me. Right. And my last question is about apps. Are there any apps that you recommend? I use Headspace and my wife uses the Calm app, mm -hmm. but, um, I really think Headspace really helped me with my meditation because they have really quick ones, really you know, five minutes, 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, if someone's really getting into meditation, it's very hard to start with a 30 minute meditations. It's very hard to stay very. focused. Yes. But if you start with a five minute one and then progress up to the 10 and the 15, I think that can really help. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, it's really great to talk to you and hear your stories and hear what you're doing on your podcast. Where can Mindful Tribe go to learn more about you? What's your website? So you can head over to, uh, if you go to Facebook, you just type in uh, Relatively Normal and the Instagram um, is Relatively Normal Pod. Mm -hmm. And you can always go to anchor.fm to listen to Relatively Normal. And very soon, 
There will be my fitness website, which will include links to relatively normal. And um, I'm kind of rebranding everything for that mind-body connection. I, mm -hmm. I want to not only help people getting physically strong, but getting mentally strong also. So uh, look for that at the um, ISSA website. It'll, it'll be Hazon underscore fitness. You can always go to under, uh, Payson underscore fitness and Instagram to follow my fitness journey if you need any fitness tips, things like that, because I really want people to be holistic about how they look at stuff. I really want people to see the big picture when it comes to fitness, because for a long time, I tried to work on one and not the other. And it wasn't yeah. until I was, in, I was intentional about both that I became the person I am today. And Mindful Tribe, I just want to mention that Payson P-A-I-S-A-N-T, that's the spelling, Paison underscore fitness. So check Mark out online and uh, you'll find out that it's M-A-R-C when you learn more about Mark. So yeah, great to talk to you, great to connect with you. As we wrap up the interview, Mark, I'm just wondering if you have any final words of advice for our Mindful Tribe listeners today. I always end the same way when I'm asked that question is, is for people to understand that self-care is not selfish and mindfulness, going to the gym, going for a run, going for a walk, decompressing is all self-care. And I always tell people, think about all those things that are important to you in your life, whether it be your job, your family, your you know, career, you know, anything that you, your hobbies, the time you spend with your kids. There's one common denominator and that's you. And don't ever forget that. So taking care of yourself makes you better for those other things in your life that you want to do. Totally. Thanks for that advice. And thanks for being on mindfulness mode, Mark. I really appreciated getting to know you. Thank you. I had a really good time and the pleasure is totally mine. Awesome. All the best to you. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the show today. You know, I've been working hard on my YouTube channel, and of course, you have probably subscribed to my show on Apple, or maybe you've subscribed to it elsewhere, and I appreciate that. I appreciate reviews that you leave, but you know what? I would really also appreciate it if you would be willing to become a subscriber on my YouTube channel. That can really help me. I've got around uh, almost 31,000 views on my YouTube channel, and so I'm really excited about that, but I would really, really benefit uh, by having more subscribers. So if you would be willing to jump on my YouTube channel and you can simply go to that channel by typing in mindfulnessmode.com slash TV and that will take you directly to my YouTube channel and you'll see the subscribe button right there. If you would be willing to subscribe to the channel and hey, let me know what you think of it. Let, let me know if you'd like to see more YouTube shorts or if you'd like to see more full episodes. Give me your feedback. I, I truly appreciate that. And uh, so like always, take what we've learned today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>